Blog Talk Radio. Corruption. Racism. Xenophobia. White supremacy. Healthcare protections hanging by a thread. Law enforcement encouraged to commit acts of brutality. Peaceful people being separated from their families. And at the helm, a man beholden to Russia who is so unhinged that his actions could actually lead us to nuclear war. Join Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Together we must stand against the destruction of this country and the ideals we hold dear. Before it's too late. Coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it is area code 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. Later on today, I'll be talking about uh, Trump being the second coming. Uh, the problem that I brought up another week with Medicare for All. And then at the about a half the hour, I'll be talking with Rebecca Parson, candidate for the 6th Congressional District in Washington State. Uh, but, of course, as always, I start off with this week's headlines. Donald Trump is seriously taking a look at ending birthright citizenship. You know, because he has already used the other amendments as toilet paper. Why not the 14th? He better not try and kill the Fifth Amendment, though, for his own sake. Fragile as ever, Donald Trump canceled a meeting with the leader of Denmark after they laughed off the idea of selling Greenland to the United States. He really is a spoiled little child, isn't he? In science news, Florida panthers are struggling to walk, and wildlife officials are baffled as to why. Had it been cougars, this might have been a much funnier story. In entertainment news, Spider-Man is, at least for now, no longer part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Unable to reach a deal on how to share the next billion-dollar take, Sony stepped away from the table. Somewhere, J. Jonah Jameson is laughing his ass off. And finally, the Storm Area 51 event has caused a rural Nevada county of just 5,200 people to declare a state of emergency even before it starts. Amazing what a little bit of internet trolling will do. And that is this week's headline. So, Donald Trump wanted to thank, he thanked conspiracy theorist Wayne Allen Root for likening his power, rise to power, and the idea about, you know, that the Jewish, he's the best, let's see, what did he say? Wrote of Trump, he is the best president for Israel in the history of the world, and the Jewish people in Israel love him like he's the king of Israel. They love him like he's the second coming of God. Now, anybody who knows anything about the Jewish religion knows that Jews don't believe that there's a second coming because we don't believe the Messiah has come the first time yet. So, already, Mr. Root shows his ignorance, but Donald Trump also shows his ignorance. How? Because he continues on with the ridiculous idea that somehow Jews are supposed to are traitors or whatever, you know, because they're not supporting conservatives. Why would Jews support conservatives? Conservatives, you know, I'm confused at the Republicans that are Jewish, especially with Donald Trump as president, considering the fact that Donald Trump campaigned on, you know, some xenophobic, anti-Semitic, and otherwise racist or bigoted things, and more on that a little later. But the idea that we would somehow be happy with the guy who refused to say that the entirety of the Nazis in Charlottesville 
were bad, like he had to say there are good people on both sides. No, I'm sorry. If I'm not sorry. If you march on the side with Nazis, I don't care what you are. You can you're a Nazi. What is it? What do you call ten people at dinner with a known Nazi? Eleven Nazis. That's pretty much it. If you're with a known Nazi, I, I would never choose to hang out with a Nazi. If I knew you were Nazi, if I saw there was a parade going, if someone was in my parade and they were marching Nazis in that parade, I would either make sure that that the group was taken out of the parade or I would take myself out of the parade. It's very simple. Don't hang out with Nazis if you don't want to be called a Nazi. And don't praise them or try. don't be afraid to criticize them or else you'll be called a Nazi too. The fact that he's afraid to criticize Nazism, to criticize white supremacy, to criticize the people that you know helped brought him up to power, at least in part. So I'm not going to say that every person who voted for Donald Trump the first time is a white supremacist and a you know racist Nazi sympathizer. If you vote for Donald Trump the second time. You're a white supremacist, Nazi supporter, and a, and, and a white supremacist. And so there's no way around it. You get one mistake. You get to claim one mistake. Even though I told you and lots of other people told you back in the last election that we knew the playbook. We know how this works. We've seen this happen before. We know what they do. It's like having the playbook of uh, your, your, your opposing football team and knowing that they're going to run the ball or knowing that they're going to pass the ball and then you put eight men in the box. It's just ridiculous. But then again, I guess they are. Well, at least, you know, Donald Trump telling himself or telling other people that, you know, he is somehow the, the king of the Jews uh, the president of Israel, Reuben Rivlin, as opposed to not the prime minister, but the president. The prime minister in Israel has more power, but there still is a president. He reached out to Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and assured her that the country does not see its ties with the United States as dependent on the relationship with one particular party, i.e. Israel will still be friends with America if a Democrat is in office. They got along fine with America when Barack Obama was in office. Now, you know, of course, there are more conservative people who won't like a, a Democrat in office because they, of course, want the Republicans uh, to be there because they will uh, be more supportive of the settlements and stuff like that. But, you know, we're not going to – Democrats are not going to support – elimination of the state of Israel. They just might want Israel to behave in the hopes that peace can be found in the Middle East. And I don't think that's too much to ask for. So let's go ahead and take the first commercial break. Come back, take your calls, 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. The chat room is open as well, shockingly enough, for the first time in three weeks. So you can join them there as well. Um, and then we'll be back in about two minutes. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a ride-share driver wondering how to increase your earnings? 
Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Again, this is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. You can join us in the chat room at liberaldan.com, or I'm sorry, at blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. You can also chat after the live broadcast. You can comment on the show thread at liberaldan.com once I make it. You can also uh, follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash liberaldan, and at liberaldanradio on Twitter, and I'll respond to you there as well. So, uh, typically, and again, always, we're going to get to more subjects. Uh, You know, a couple weeks ago, I had a a problem with Medicare for All. Not that I don't approve of it. I do. I just want to make sure of that, that everyone is uh, aware that I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm just changing my mind in there for one thing. But I did have a concern, and I believe I brought it up a couple weeks ago on the podcast, about something having to do with Medicare for All. And I will bring it up. But first, as always, remember, I don't support these views. I just mock them with words of redneck wisdom. And now, this week's words of redneck wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Traditional American values are under attack by neo-Marxists and so-called progressives. The sons of Confederate veterans are fighting America's enemies that not only attack Confederate monuments, but also attack the Ten Commandments and other Christian symbols. These neo-Marxists, that demand the removal of the Confederate flag will one day demand the removal of American and Christian flags. You have just heard more words of redneck wisdom brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Save America. The sons of Confederate veterans are going to save America. The Confederate veterans were trying to destroy the United States of America, or at least kill off many of its soldiers as it was trying to maintain the abhorrent practice of slavery. Oh, but they have information on their site that tries to tell you that slavery wasn't all that bad. And, you know, last week's words of redneck wisdom all about the information about how all these good people thrived you know you even had a jew at at run it's ridiculous just i mean this is another treasure trove that just keeps on giving with the ridiculousness so i I, when i first heard them on the on the radio i was like there has to be more and there is and there still is so the the idea that we're going to come after American flags and not want American flags. Yeah, you know what? American flags can stay on American buildings. That's fine. But if you try and put a Christian flag on a building that's a government building, hell to the no. I will fight that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And these people, because we're not a Christian nation, this is a not a theocracy, people. We are not a theocracy. We do not, we should not be drafting laws based on somebody's faith. Now, if certain faiths have laws in those faiths that intersect the secular laws of the land, that's fine. Thou shalt not murder is a decent thing to have, and it just so happens to be against the law to murder people secularly. That's not you can't then say that 
oh, well, our system of laws are based on the Bible's laws. Well, I mean, it's not illegal to have bacon, is it? So, anyway. These people, uh, I will continue to mock them until they shut up. So, but, all right, let's talk about Medicare for all. You know, I've talked about this a little bit, talked about it with one of the previous candidates that I had for office, and, you know, with the surprise medical billing, uh, we're dealing with that currently, some surprise medical billing, the idea that, you know, we'll have to worry about whether or not things, lab tests are in network or not. It's ridiculous. Um, I shouldn't have to trace down every single person who does every single piece of work for a hospital to determine whether or not something is going to be in network or not, because it's ridiculous. But let's uh, let's talk about the one thing that I brought up the other week. I'm I'm pretty sure I I, I'm pretty sure it was on the podcast. It might have been somewhere else. But in the discussion of Medicare for all, let's say we're we're going to replace private plans. And and so this is not like a Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, uh, Medicare for all who want it discussion, because in his you could still have employer-based plans, or you could choose to go on Medicare for All. And, and they believe that you, you, once, once that happens, more people will start going onto the public option or Medicare for All. And then as everybody goes over that way, then the private insurance will probably just stay, be phased out. Or some people just want to go jump in the cold pool and get it over with as quickly as possible. And, you know, there are benefits to that. But my one concern that I had was that I work for my benefits. And the way I view the way I view benefits is that every single benefit, even if it's not a line item on my check, is part of my compensation package. It's all part of the cost to employ me. So how much does it cost to employ me? Whatever my salary is, that's one. Plus there are employer based that, you know, aren't included. Let's say, for example, you know, health insurance. Just, just take health insurance from the beginning. Let's say it costs $10,000 to insure my family, and I get to take those health insurance premiums off my salary on a pre-tax basis. There is no difference between me getting paid $50,000 and paying $10,000 a year in pre-tax dollar premiums or having a job where I get paid $40,000 and the employer pays all 10000 of those. Because in both cases, all other things being equal, my gross income is going to be $40,000. So usually there's some sort of split. So let's say, for example, it costs I mean, you're paying me $50,000 a year. Let's say I'm paying 5000 of the amount of money that I have to pay towards my premiums, and that comes off of a line item from my check. Now, let's say that the employer is going to pay $5,000 not included as part of my check. I mean, there's no reason why it can't be like, well, pay me 45000 versus pay me 55000 Personally, I would rather see it all be a line item. Why is that? Because I would rather than have the $55,000 as gross pay, and then if for some reason I'm my, I, my spouse has a better benefit package, which I mean she does it, but if she for some reason did, and we could get insurance through her company instead of my company, then I could take home more money. But here's the thing. If you work for an employer, most cases, and your spouse has insurance, and your employer would normally pay $5,000 towards the premium as something on top of your paycheck, that employer now gets to keep $5,000 that it normally would spend on you healthcare. So you, by, by getting insurance outside of your company, you are making it cheaper for that company to employ you, even though you're still giving them the same labor. 
you're still giving them the same effort. This is the problem that I have with the Medicare for all option, or once we would get there with any of the options, is that what happens to that employer contribution? If I were going to write the law for Medicare for all, I would require a look back for X amount of years. Whatever that X is, I'd require a look back to look and see how much money that company contributed to that individual's health care. And then I would require those people's salaries to go up that amount. If or if if there's people are gonna actually pay for it require I think I would rather just the person's salaries goes up because if the people are gonna pay more in taxes because they are but it's offset by the savings and the premiums. But if I'm doing labor and it costs you, let's say my salary is $50,000. Let's say it costs $65,000 to employ me. And let, let's, say, let's say it costs 55000 if you're just including health care. You shouldn't get to save $5,000 just because they get a government plan. That's my money. That's my benefits that I work for. And you shouldn't get to, you should, an employer should not get to take that money and keep it for themselves. And the, the thing that surprised me about this was is somebody called up the Tom Hartman show this afternoon and guest Mark Pocan, who's a congressman, he brought up the idea that Mark Pocan was bringing up the conservative lie. And I was like, well, this should be interesting. What conservative lie could Mark Pocan be pro, you know, promoting, considering I've heard him speak before? He's very progressive, very conservative. And basically the idea, he was suggesting that businesses who now no longer have to contribute that amount of money towards their employees will then get to use that increase in money for like business expenses to help them grow maybe to hire on more another employee or something like that when it's not the case a business is going to hire as many employees as they need to fit the demand just because a business now saves money on employing employees because government's taking over their the insurance that doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're going to hire one more person. No. If, if, you, if you have a demand of X, and in order to meet that demand of X, you have to hire Y people, and you've hired Y people, Y number of people, you're not going to hire a Y plus one person. The additional person is extraneous. You don't need that person. So why would they hire them? Doesn't it make any sense? You know, if, if there's more demand for their business, maybe they might spend a little bit of money trying to drum up some demand for their business, but unless the demand is there, you're not going to get hire another person. So it was shocking because the caller was right. Mark Pocan was basically arguing a trickle-down thing. And of course, you know, Tom Hartman and Mark Pocan, uh, they basically said that, of course, you would increase taxes on, you know, the larger businesses to help pay for it. But it doesn't matter. My point is, is that the cost to employ me is X. And if the business is getting, is, is no longer has to pay money towards my health insurance that I was earning with my labor, and you don't force those businesses to give us an increase in salary to compensate us for that loss, then no, I'm sorry. That's, that's not kosher. That's not cool to me. You're basically allowing a, an employer to steal my labor. My, my labor is very valuable to me. I waited. I, I was unemployed. I mean, every, I was employed. I, I was working, you know, I did Uber and Lyft. I did, um, you know, some other, some other jobs. I was working part-time for my former employer and I was doing okay for myself. It wasn't the greatest, but I was doing okay for myself for over a year. And why did I wait a year? 
simple. My labor is worth it to me, and I was not about to apply or accept any jobs. And you can't accept a job that with low pay if you don't apply for the job with low pay. And I would flat out tell, you know, recruiters, look, this is what I'm getting paid per hour by my former employer to do hourly work for them. This is what I think I expect to get. This is what I think I'm worth. And so they wouldn't even come to me with jobs that was less than what I would, what I would think I would be worth, unless maybe it was a nonprofit. I would consider working for a nonprofit for a little less simply because I would feel if it was a reasonable nonprofit, not like a commercially run nonprofit where all of the money that should have been profit instead goes to pay your board members and other higher up muckety mucks in the hospital, like Auctioner Hospital here in New Orleans. They are supposedly a nonprofit, but they operate way very much so like a for-profit hospital. And it's ridiculous that they're allowed to get away with it. But then again, whenever I tell this story, I always tell about how when I was a waiter, I had this idea that I might make a little organization uh, to try and promote the um, tipping in, in New Orleans and, you know, give little you know tips to tricks and to how, Maybe waiters, you know, basically kind of like a waiter's union almost. Um, but it would have been a nonprofit. And because I, I, I wasn't thinking I would make money with this thing, you know, it was just maybe if, I, if, it caught, if it took off, I might have to make a little bit of money just to cover my expenses for, you know, actually getting, you know, doing the work and not waiting tables at the time. But I found this book, How to, make, how to Get Rich Off Nonprofits, How to Make Money Off a Nonprofit. And it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And you, and you look into a lot of these nonprofits that are out there, and you'll see how much money goes to charitable causes for the reason you should have a nonprofit. Now, the hospital is not a charity, so there's no charitable causes there. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see Oxford being charitable. They're, they're trying to make money just as much as any other for-profit business out there. But if you know if you're supposed to be doing a charity work and like half your money goes to pay off board members and executives and other people, obviously if people are working for you, you have to compensate them unless you manage to figure out a way to get an all volunteer organization. If that's the case, great, you're awesome, more power to you. I have a friend of mine who runs a business, and she managed to get somebody to do some volunteer to help her out. I mean, like, and I was very impressed that she was able to pull that off because she's not even a nonprofit. But that's again person volunteering to help out a friend, that's cool. Awesome. More power to you. But if you're if you're not in the charity if you're not doing charitable work, if you're not doing, you know, helping people, if you're instead seeking to pay off your executives exorbitant salaries off the backs of legal loopholes, then I'm gonna have a big problem with you. So Anyway, we should be getting Rebecca here in a few minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and hit the next commercial block, uh, taking your calls as well, 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. Again, you can join us in the chat room as well. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out Budgeteers.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But Budgeteers is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out Budgeteers.com or go to YouTube.com slash Budgeteers and help make your trip the best it can be. 
BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a rideshare driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. So join the show, it's 914-803-4131. It's 914-803-4131. Um, we're going to get to uh, Rebecca Parson in a second. Uh, but the first thing we do after every bottom of half the hour break is play the Hypocrite of the Week audio. So here we go. This week's Hypocrite of the Week is the Republican Jewish Coalition, who retweeted a tweet claiming that conservative Jews have long argued that Jewish Dems should abandon their party over rising anti-Semitism on the left, all while supporting Donald Trump, who campaigned using an anti-Semitic image with a Star of David over money. To see who next week's Hypocrite of the Week will be, tune in to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. And that's right. The Republican Jewish Committee uh, is trying to say that we should support Republicans and Donald Trump, despite the fact that the reasons that the Republicans are in power are in part because of their support of white supremacy and white supremacists do not like Jews. So anyway, on hold, I believe uh, we have our candidate, Rebecca Parson. Rebecca, is that you? Hi, yeah, it's me. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you very much for calling in. It is my pleasure to have you on as a uh, as a guest on the show. And I'm trying to reach out to as many people as possible who are running for Congress because I once did it too. So, I mean, for hopefully you'll be more successful than I was. But, you know, I always want to help out people who are liberal, who are progressive, who want to you know do the right thing and who want to... Uh, you know, make a change for the better. So first and foremost, I'll introduce yourself. Uh, you know, let, let us know a little about your background. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me on, Dan. I really appreciate it. And yeah, my name is Rebecca Parson, and I'm running for Congress, House of Representatives in Washington's 6th Congressional District. And we are, that includes Tacoma, the Olympic Peninsula, which if you just imagine the um, northwesternmost part of the country, that's the Olympic Peninsula. Um, that's the area that my district includes, and I'm running on a progressive agenda of, <clears throat> excuse me, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, rent control, lots of other great policies, and I'm not taking any corporate or lobbyist money. That is excellent to hear. And, and what what caused you to get to, to to decide? Okay, this is the year I'm going to throw my hat into the ring and and, and declare my candidacy. Yeah, it was really a few things. One was after Trump got elected, I started thinking, well, if he can be a politician, maybe I can too. I wasn't <laughs> sure what I would run for, but yeah, I got the idea in my head and I'm sure it helps to be a billionaire and be able to fund some of your campaign, but surely I could run for something. And I was just thinking about it. And then I got involved in my local Indivisible, Indivisible Tacoma, and ended up co-leading that for about a year and a half. And uh, for anyone who's listening the, who may not be familiar, the indivisible model is really ingenious. It takes the Tea Party tactics and applies it to the left and um, getting what we want. So calling our members of Congress, pressuring them to take positions we want them to take, to take a harder line against Republicans um, for, for those of us who have Democratic uh, representation. And you know, Indivisible has had a lot of success around the country, and it's been really amazing, just explosive growth and success. But what I found here in Washington State, for, in the districts where we have Democratic representatives, was that um, it didn't really work on them. They would just say, well, just get more Democrats elected, and, um, you know, there's only so much we can do. Our hands are tied, and it's just, you know, we call and call and call and, you know, write letters to the editor and try all the pressure tactics, and they just kind of smile and nod, send us a form letter, and nothing changes. 
it's almost like contacting Comcast, like, dear valued customer, thanks so much. Uh, we're not going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I know. very frustrating. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, we, our district is much more progressive than our representation. You know, the incumbent is the chair of the New Democrats Caucus, which is the centrist corporate caucus in Congress. And he also belongs to the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is funded by Republican billionaires. And we just deserve so much better. And um, I looked at it, you know, it's a going, running for the first time for Congress. It's a really big step. Um, but I think 2020 is the year to um, I think my my feeling is that there's going to be a wave just of exciting candidates getting elected in 2020, and that if we have a progressive president in the White House, we really need a, co a Congress to back them up and have those policies go through. And so that's why I decided to run in 2020. Absolutely. And I mean, that's why I labeled all these shows Blue Wave with, because I, I, mm -hmm. I do think that there is a chance to continue on, you know, the blue wave that happened in 2018. Uh, that we were able to, you know, take back uh, the house to be able to put at least a stop, a stopgap on at least some of the pain that has been going on, despite his best efforts. Otherwise, you know, and yeah, it, it's it's hard because you have these, you know, the districts, you know, a lot a lot of districts are seen as safe, so-called for a certain party, but a lot of times when that happens because of gerrymandering, you wind up getting, you know, what it amounts to a political. Um, Monopoly, and so and monopolies are not good for the consumers. It's not good for voters uh, because they they, they, mm -hmm. they think, as you said, that they don't have to be uh, beholden to their constituents or beholden to their customers. And a constituent is basically a customer, if you want to think about it that mm -hmm. way. So, um, so you, you're gonna you do support Medicare for all? And I was talking about that a little bit mm -hmm. uh, earlier in the show. I don't know if you were listening, um, but. The, uh, yeah, I was listening for about um, 10 minutes before, and I heard you talking about some of that. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, I, I, get, I'm, I support Medicare for all. I just, I, when I thought, I, I just had this epiphany a few weeks ago. I'm like, well, what happens to that money that I that is a cost of employment, and what happens to that? Does it, you know, do I no longer benefit from it? So, you know, I think, I think that's something that I think should be addressed in a Medicare for all um, bill, but then again, if it's, that or not have a Medicare for all, then I'd rather have Medicare for all. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you know. I, yeah, so. it's a good point though. I haven't really heard people talk about that before. I hadn't either. <laughs> That's why I wanted to bring it up. I mean, yeah. <laughs> maybe you can get some, yeah. some traction, get some other candidates talking about it, and then we can start thinking about how, what. Because, I mean, if we work for that, there was benefit. I mean, we we work as employees, and we they have there's cost to employ us, and if they get to save money on those costs then why shouldn't we get a benefit on it as well? So, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So and you got a lot of other interesting, you know, things, you know, healthcare obviously is a big one that all progressive candidates are going to be supporting. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so you said you're a small business owner. So what, what was your small business? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So I do online marketing and work for myself doing that. And, um, it's it's great. I work online and I work from home, so I really like having that flexibility. But um, like all small business owners, there are also challenges. You know, I pay for my own health insurance, and it's gone up 20% uh, in the last few years. And uh, the biggest jump was from last year to this year, and they actually increased it by a really big amount and then decreased the quality of the plan. So I get fewer doctor's visits that are covered per year. My deductible went up. Things got more expensive, and there's just nothing I can do about it. You know, there's just this conservative myth that um, on the healthcare marketplace, you know, you have all these options and you can choose the best one. You know, the in invisible hand of the market at working at its finest, and it's not. <laughs> it's just, it's almost a monopoly. Like I think there were two companies that I could choose from, and the, none of the plans were really that great. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's gotten more and more expensive. So I really pay a lot for it now, and. Um, I would love to have a Medicare for all system for so many reasons. I mean, my district in particular, um, throughout the district, it's very big and we have urban and rural areas. Um, but across all those areas, we have some common problems. And one of them is the opioid and addiction epidemic that's ravaging the entire country. It's also really affecting our district. And I think that one 
one thing that one of the top two things we need to do to address that is have Medicare for all so that people can get treatment and detox and ongoing treatment to get clean and sober and then stay clean and sober and get that when they need it um, as much treatment and care as they need to get and stay clean and sober. And then the other thing that I think would address that is that in large parts of the in pretty in the whole district, as in most of the country, if not all of it, um, you can work 40 hours a week at minimum wage and just not be able to afford to live. And in a lot of places in the district, there just aren't good jobs. Like on the Olympic Peninsula, there used to be the logging industry was big. And after timber collapsed, um, nothing replaced a lot of those jobs. And it's just left this gaping hole in the economy there. And so there aren't jobs. The ones that are there to be had don't pay very well. They don't have benefits. And um, what I have a friend who lives there, and the way she put it was, if a community could have PTSD, this is what it would look like, like rising rates of suicide, homelessness, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, um, just d diseases of despair. Um, and I think that the other thing that would go a long way towards addressing the addiction issue is having a federal jobs guarantee, uh, because when you can work a job and that can actually pay for yourself and your family, it gives you something to live for. <laughs> and then you don't right. want to, uh, you know, just check out of your life. And so I think Medicare for all and a federal jobs guarantee would be huge towards addressing that. Now, one of the things I read about your, your, on your issues page that really, you know, intrigued me. I don't think, I don't know if I've heard anybody ever talk about this. I mean, maybe it's similar to what Andrew Yang is, is supporting in some way. Um, but yours is more minimally, but it's still the $15 per hour minimum pay for caregivers. Uh, so basically if somebody mm -hmm. is a caregiver, uh, I guess staying at home, just taking care of, of anybody, I'm, I would assume both um, elderly, uh, disabled, or uh, children, uh, that they would be guaranteed to get $15 per hour for that caregiving? Yeah, absolutely, because caregiving is hard work, you know, emotionally, physically, uh, psychologically, and I think that we should pay people for it. A lot of people just work for no money. Um, they give up years of their career they might otherwise be pursuing, um, and it's kind of invisible. It's just this invisible strata of our society where um, they work a ton of hours per week, and they're completely unrecognized, and they're uncompensated. I mean, I, I had never thought about it again, like with what you said about my idea that I talked about earlier. I've never thought about that, and I think it's a great idea. I think it's something that, that people should get behind, whether or not they will or not is, is, is another thing. But, you know, I definitely hope mm -hmm. that if, if you do get elected, that I think that would be one thing that maybe would get traction, especially if we could get a good progressive wave in, um, get you know, win the Senate, and then obviously get a Democratic president who's going to be supportive of that as well. Um, mm -hmm. I do like, you For know, sure, yeah. 12 weeks paid the family leave. Um, for every worker in America, that is also, you know, definitely, you know, something that, that should be good across, you know, a lot of times people will talk about, you know, you know, the ability of, you know, a father to also be able to spend time with a kid. And, and you know, I had a very generous uh, family leave with my company that I worked for when I had both my kids. And it was, it was great to be able to spend that time at home with my children and to be able to help out, or, you know, with everything. And, you know, you know, that's definitely something that shouldn't be gender specific, especially when you have, mm -hmm. you know, you know, parents that, you know, non-traditional, uh, you know, parenting, you know, situations, especially, mm -hmm. you know, two fathers, two mothers, you know, you know, gender, yeah. you, know, you know, people that don't, you know, follow the gender binary, that sort of thing. You know, people shouldn't have to, you know, check a box to be able to collect, get extra time off to take care of kids. So, um yeah, Stumbled definitely. a little bit over that, but that you know, you got the point. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think any parent should get that leave, and that you know, fathers deserve to have that time to connect with their children and take care of them, um, just as much as mothers or any other parents do. And, and and maybe that would even help to fight a little bit of the you know toxic masculinity that goes on in this country, and and, and promoting the idea that fathers should you know also spend time, men should be able to spend time with their children and, and be you know, a, an emotional caregiver, not just a financial one. And, you know, as you, as you eliminate that whole toxic idea, you eliminate the idea of, you know, it's the man that works, it's the woman who stays home with the child, you eliminate the patriarchal standards that we, you know, are unfortunately clinging to, I, I, you can, you know, 
move to help us get more, you know, in the mindset where we can have real equality everywhere. So. Yeah, definitely. I really think so. And I think that it's not, you know, it doesn't do any favors for men either, you know, um, to cut them off from being more of a part of their kids' lives. Like obviously it has a big impact on women and restricting our, our choice and careers and stuff like that when so much of it falls on women, but it's not good for men either. And, uh, yeah, I think you really hit hit the nail on the head when you said like that toxic masculinity. I think that if, um, men were encouraged and supported in spending more time with their kids and being connected with their kids, that it would do a lot for our society. And that would have a, for lack of a better word, a trickle down effect onto the kids, uh, because the kids would also Mm -hmm. see how, you know, you know, a better way of, of fathers and mothers acting and, you know, working together as a team and, you know, again, help to eliminate this sort of standard that we've clung on to for far too long. Um, going over some of the issues that you have on your, on your page, which can be found at Rebecca for WA.com Rebecca for dot com. Um, it's mm-hmm. a one-time cancellation of all student debt. Uh, is, is there any limits to what you would say? Like, I mean, it says all, um, but is this just a federal yeah. guaranteed or because I know some no, people I think would cancel all, yeah, I would cancel all student debt and then have um, public college and university going forward be free um, because it's just such a, a burden. You know, people like to make fun of millennials and that we just live in our parents' basements eating avocado t- toast and playing video games but and not starting families. But I think that a lot of millennials would start get married, start families, buy homes, buy cars. All You know, we're ruining the, the car industry because we won't buy cars and stuff like that. Well, we don't have money to. Right. <laughs> it's like but if you, you know, gone are the days when you could flip burgers and work your way through college doing that. It just doesn't work anymore. And so then right. you graduate with tens of thousands or $100,000 or more in debt you know, especially if you went to grad school, law school, and um, it's just, it's a drag on our economy, and it's not fair to people who are starting out their life that way. I probably will never pay off my student loans. I'm just going to say that for a fact that I have so much debt out there, and so many things that, that, you know, roadblocks that I hit that maybe have to take all the, all the possible deferments that I could and forbearances, and then once, then I finally, like, they, they, it took a while to get, I was working at a nonprofit. It took me a while to get, you know, the information on the income based repayment that you can get for working for a nonprofit. And then they're like, Oh, but you have to actually consolidate your loans over to my fed loan servicing, which is run by the government. So, and they screwed that up. So that was another year deferment that I had. And then, and then finally I got that. And then of course, and then of course the, the nonprofit I was working for lost a whole bunch of great money. And so I got unemployed again. And of course, all of my clocks reset. So, so I'm never mm-hmm. by the time the minimum payment that I'll make, I, w- I won't even be making interest interest payments. I'll be making less than interest payments, and I'll make the 25 years worth of minimum payments before I ever pay off the student debt. Either that or you know, so either it's going to be yeah. somebody who it's either going to be somebody who gets the office enough people getting the office to cancel the student debt, or me winning the Powerball. <laughs> the only yeah. way that I, think, <laughs> I see that ever happening. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. What try you know, I play the numbers every once in a while, but you know it's not a good solid financial future plan. Um, yeah, it's just it's terrible that people like you, like you, and so many others are burdened like that. It's just completely unfair. I mean, in education, I think anybody should be able to go if it's a trade trade school, community college, four year college, whatever it is, to build a career and the life you want. Uh, we should be able to get that. We do it in you know they do it in so many other countries. Um, it's the richest country on earth. I think that we can do it too. Now with the, uh, your money out of politics section, you talk about um, the uh, sitting congressman. And I guess the biggest problem that you have with sitting congressman, besides the fact that he's, I guess, paid for, you know, by this, sort of, I guess, a Republican really funded group of, of rich Republicans. Um, but the fact that, you know, he, he, he has a lot of corporate donors and you've said that you're not going to take corporate contributions and, you know, he, he takes money from Big Pharma and from Raytheon, it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then one of the things, you know, you do mention opioid, opioid, opioid epidemic. And obviously mm-hmm. that's a big problem in the country. Um, one of the things I worry about is I have some friends uh, who um, need have to take pain medicine. And the only pain medicine they can take are, 
you know, the opioids because the other medicines they're just they're allergic to it. So um, with, with any plan that you sponsor, make sure that those people can who really absolutely need it can get it. Yeah, definitely it would. Because um, for some people that is the only option, and um, you know, for some people it's so hard to get what they need um, that they just endure being in terrible pain. Um, and for those people, yeah, definitely would want to make sure that they keep having access. So one of the things you also bring up is the end of gerrymandering, and I've I've made it a point over the years to argue about gerrymandering and how ridiculous it is. I actually had a guest on last year who actually developed oh, – I'm using the word. I hate that word. I hate the word actually. I'm, just, just, I'm, I'm trying to work on eliminating – there's no use for it. There's no there, – like I'm actually going to stop using this word. I could just say I'm going to stop using this word, and it has the same meaning. It's a meaningless word. It, it adds no value or – or benefit to, to conversations whatsoever. So anyway, that's a little <laughs> rant on that. Part. Never thought of that. <laughs> um, I've been taking a writing class for a while now, and, and, and I've really been working on, you know, how to pare down my, my writing to say the same thing in less words. And I realized that that's one word mm-hmm. that just, there's no reason to have it. Uh, but with the end of gerrymandering, <laughs> um, do you have any specific ideas as to how we might accomplish that? Or, cause I mean, I, I've, I've thrown around a few, but I'm always looking for more, you know, because if we have lines, somebody has to draw the line. So that's something that I, I know a lot of people have studied and applied, you know, created programs and been able to um, do it in a quantitatively fair way. And that's something that I would want to do and recognize that it's not in my expertise, that kind of sure. um, data analysis and that computer science aspect of it. So I would want to make sure that it just happens in a nonpartisan way and where it is, they, these districts are not created to uh, disenfranchise voters, in particular voters of color and black voters, um, and not to favor one party or the other. Um, those would be my primary goals with choosing any system. But um, what system do you favor for uh, um, ending gerrymandering? My see one of my things is I don't even think districts are needed because back in the day when when we were in you know the late 1700s it took a while to get across mm-hmm. the district so you'd want to make sure that your districts are close as possible. Um, but Louisiana we have six seats for example. Um, there's no reason why we can't just do a slate of candidates and have like and and handle it almost like they handle some parliamentary type votes and just say okay well. Here's, this is going to be the Democratic Party ticket. This is going to be the Republican Party ticket. This is going to be the Green Party ticket. And then, you know, mm-hmm. however many votes that ticket get, if, if you get one-sixth of the votes, for example, in Louisiana, um, you're going to get one seat and you handle the, the rounding as, you know, there, there are ways to handle that rounding off as well so that, you know, the, 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 the fractions, it's the highest total. Like, so if you had like 1.2, 1.2, you know, something, there'll be one vote apiece, and then, like, you know, you look at the remainders and say, okay, well, these are the highest remainders, so these get the rest. So that's one way of doing it. But um, in the mm-hmm. absence of that, I also like the um, you draw, I pick method, uh, where you have both pe- both groups have to, you know, because we do have two big parties right at the moment, so there's really no way to get around that. Our system kind of currently as it stands kind of forces that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have, the, you know, the two whatever two parties are, are big in a particular state, you know, you would, they would sit down and they'd say, okay, I'm going to draw, you flip a coin, the one that wins draws however many districts on the map. And then the other, the party goes, okay, well, I want this one. So that behooves the first party to not draw anything that's going to be beneficial for the other people, but the other people pick the one that they want. And then you flip. And then the, that, that party that is picked draws the rest of like redraws the rest of the map. And then, the first, the next party, and it's it's an interesting way to, to to solve it because you basically have to say, okay, how am I going to make this map so that I'm not giving away something to my opponent? Um, it's it's a little more adversarial, I guess, but I think that at the end of the day, anything that gets rid of these ridiculous districts, or you know, is is going to help. I think, you know, moderate at least, you know, get rid of a lot of these extremists that are out there, you know, these you know the mm-hmm. extremist Republicans in these in these. Are, you know, things have gotten worse. That's why we're seeing, I think, such attacks on, you know, women's rights, gay rights after having so many victories is because you have these, 
you know, the Republicans were able to do with their red map projects um, with, with very yeah. little effort, very targeted effort. They were able to basically cheat the system and, you know, steal states away just by drawing. There was a I looked at the maps in Pennsylvania and there was a three block. There was a there was you cross three blocks in a city and you cross three congressional districts. That's how. Oh my gosh, that's absurd. Wow. And then, like, the, the people that drew, that came up with that game, the gerrymandering game, it's called Map Maker. The people that made that Map Maker game are from Austin, Texas. And Austin is a blue city. Every single every single uh, member of the city council is a Democrat, it's a Democratic mayor. But there's not one Democratic person in the House and federally representing that, that city because they cracked it apart. Really? They wow. basically said, okay, this part goes to this district, this part goes to district, this district. And one of the most interesting wow. things in Texas, um, I think it was Joe Barton, the whole you lie guy, who shouted out in the middle of the thing. Um, oh, yeah. His, <laughs> his district is not, has like, I think it's 40% Republican, but they've managed to pack so many non-voters into the district that it becomes mm. a Republican district. So you don't even need to put a majority of people in the district that are represented by that district, you just have to make sure that there's a bunch of non-voters there to help you. So it, the, the system is way broken. And I've played the game with my kids even, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's enough game to play with my kids. And, you know, you can make some ridiculous districts on that <laughs> game. And it really is easy. Yeah. Like actually, it was supported. Um, there's pictures of them playing the game with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, there's pictures of them, you know, bring, delivering the games to Washington D.C. and playing it on the Capitol steps or or, or by the Capitol. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and, 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 and it was kids, three like I think they're all under 18. If not under 18, they're all under 20. Who put this game together and was able to come up with this great idea and, and maybe put gerrymandering on the map, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. I like the Raytheon, my celebrate pride, but that doesn't mean I should take money from them. So that's good. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah really I, I, a lot of times, you know, yeah. a lot of times people like, you know, pink wash with, uh, you know, cancer, like breast cancer issues, they'll just pink wash everything. They'll, they'll rainbow wash, you know, things trying to make sure, hey, look, for, you know, for this day, we're going to pretend that we're going to be supportive of, of you know, gay rights. Every, I, I try and find one corporation. Um, every time that, you know, pride comes around and I'm like, you know, besides changing your logo to make it rainbow, what have you done, you know, as a company <laughs> to help your help, you know, LGBTQA rights, you know, generally, or even within your company, have you offered, you know, you know, the ability to make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, people can have uh, surgeries so that they can, you know, if they choose to, you know, match their uh, identified with gender. Have you, have you, have you fought for, you know, or have you donated money to support the rights of people to get married and stuff like that, or, you know, trans folk in the military, things like that. You know, what are you fighting for? Mm-hmm. Have you put your money where your mouth is? Are you just trying to profit off of people who are, you know, LGBTQA? And just, yeah, for sure. You know, I, you know, I'm an, I, I would definitely call myself an ally. You know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who, yeah. you know, I don't know what it's like to live as somebody who is, uh, you know, lesbian, gay, genderqueer, you know, transsexual, transgender, asexual, you know, every single possibility of out there, you know, but I, I do try and imagine myself, you know, what it might be like. And I think too, too few people, um, you know, that take the time to consider that. Um, I do like. Uh, that you include the uh, one of the things that you would ban would be the gay panic murder defense or the trans panic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. just, you know, the, the idea that it's going to make you that insane that you feel like you, you know, it's the whole thing. It's kind of this, almost the same mentality, you know, almost of, you know, for lack of a better comparison, you know, blackness is also seen as, you know, a, something to be afraid of. So these cops mm-hmm. that you see, like if you look at the video of, you know, how, when Philando Castile was shot, you know, he, mm-hmm. that, that cop was absolutely afraid. And the only reason he was afraid, you know, was because that guy was black, you know, Tamir Rice, he, the person shot up, rolled up on him and shot him. The only reason he, he they panicked because he was black. So and it's the same sort of thing yep. that happens in these gay panic, these trans panic re- re- things where, Oh, 
you know, I don't know what to do with myself now. I'm going to just freak out and kill somebody. That's not an excuse. And, and I'm glad you put that on your website because it's, it's definitely something that needs to, needs to be addressed. And unfortunately, too few states uh, have mentioned it right now. I mean, some people word their arguments uh, about it differently because, I mean, it's technically not, it's not something that you, that's written, it's, co- it's not codified in the law or anything. But it's just, it's just mm-hmm. a part of, you know, bogus self-defense claims or bogus, you know, temporary insanity claims. And, and you know, lawyers, you know, are needed, but sometimes we'll come up with some ridiculous arguments as to why their people are, are not guilty. And this is one of them. So I'm, I'm definitely glad that you have that on your list as well. So um, we're a little yeah, over, definitely. but I, I, I always plan my show to end. 30 minutes after my planned ending time, just because we, if we do go over and have good conversation, but um, is there anything that you want to add? You know, it is your campaign. I want to make sure that you can get everything out that you want to talk about. So anything else that you want to add before we end the show? Well, one policy that I'm really excited about and that I don't see a lot of discussion about nationally is rent control. Um, there's a lot of discussion locally doing it at the city and state level around the country, but mm-hmm. It is actually legal to have national rent control, and we have before. We had it during World War II. Excuse me. And also Richard Nixon instituted rent control. Um, President Truman wanted it because he thought it would prevent communism. I'm not sure exactly why, but (laughs) in any case, yeah, it is legal. We've had it before. It's constitutional, and there's no reason that we couldn't have it now. You know, it would face legal challenges from the real estate industry, just like it does locally. Um, but they always challenge rent control. And the, the situation now is that um, we have hundreds of groups around the country trying to get rent control in their cities, counties, states. And then inevitably, there's a legal challenge from the real estate industry, from developers. And then you have individually people and groups and organizations, nonprofits trying to defend it in all these different localities around the country. But if we had a national system of rent control and then the inevitable legal challenge came, we could put all our firepower of, you know, from around the country into defending it um, nationally in one focused way instead of all these groups around the country trying to do it. And you know, I think it's absolutely essential to have tenant organizing locally. You know, I'm a renter. I'm involved with the Tacoma Tenants Organizing Committee, which is one really huge wins for tenants in the city of Tacoma, which is the newspaper just called it the hottest real estate market in the country. Um, we have very quickly, very fast rising rents here. And um, it's really important for local organizing for that to happen. But at the same time, when you have um, all housing policy is happening at this very um, local level, you end up um, inevitably like the city, well, if we institute this policy, then the capital is going to go, you know, the money is going to go to this other uh, city or another county. Or if we institute rent control here, then rent control, then rents will increase just outside the borders of where we have rent control, stuff like that. And really those problems are all solved when you have universal rent control um, and there's no holes for, um, you know, for, for that to leak out of, you know, where everybody is covered in the entire country. And so that's part of my platform. Um, I've been talking to um, experts around the country about it, um, including one I can't really say much about it um, at this stage, but they are going to release a really exciting policy on Labor Day about that will include national rent control. So that's something that I'm really excited about and I hope becomes part of the national conversation. I mean, again, I haven't thought about that before, but that you are 100% right. I, I we've had problems down here in New Orleans as well. Um, after Katrina, uh, there are a lot of people who wound up being, you know, a lot of the flooding down here was was man-made. Um, you think during a hurricane, mm-hmm. how can it be man-made? Well, all of the flooding events that took place were because of either poor planning or poor building um, of, of infrastructure. And the people who were in the poorest of neighborhoods, uh, they gave out grants to come back, but they wouldn't give grant money to uh, the people, you know, who were underwater. They could only give, they would only give you as much, or upside down, I guess is a better term. Uh, they would only give you enough money up to the cost of what the property was worth. So you have a lot of people who couldn't come home because they didn't have enough money to rebuild. So they wound up selling their property to investors who then flipped the properties into you know, quote, better housing, which then increased, you know, the gentrification in the mm-hmm. neighborhoods, increased the property yeah. values. And, you know, 
you know, you ask your average person, especially average white person, probably, and you say, hey, property values are going up. And you're like, really? That's awesome. That's the sound of a great thing. And, and you're like, no, because that means that the people who are living <laughs> there can no longer afford to live there. And so they have to move, yeah. move somewhere else. And, you know, have, which means they probably have to drive or trans or travel further to get to work, which means they have less money out of pocket, which means less money to pay for that rent. So they wound up, you know, you wind up losing people who from communities, you know, we have musicians uh, in, in the community who are, you know, no longer able to live there because, you know, they, they used to be able to afford the rent and then they can't anymore. So with, you know, the advent of, you know, now you have Airbnbs and, you know, I'm not opposed to individuals like, you know, wanting to go to Disney World, so let me rent my house out for a week. You know, I'm not opposed to that, but I'm opposed to big, you know, corporate conglomerates coming in, buying up an entire neighborhood and turning it into a de facto hotel, which then, of course, increases property values more, which means it's slightly more expensive to live there. So if with rent control, mm-hmm. that might fight that, and that's a good thing. So um, I, I, that's a great thing. I, I really hope you're able to get elected and help push that for that because that would be that would be excellent so um again how, do, yeah. how does everybody get in contact with your campaign uh go to rebecca for wa.com that's r-e-b-e-c-c-a-f-o-r-w-a.com uh sign up for my email list that's the number one thing you can do to help the campaign so i can stay in touch um, and being a grassroots campaign and not taking any corporate or lobbyist money, it's really important to have people sign up and be able to get updates from me so that I can reach people directly. Um, and then if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rebecca for WA. Perfect. Very much. Thank you very much. Well, you have an open invitation to come back on the program. And if you have any new any announcements you want to make or any new uh, you know policies you want to support or just, you know, just to advocate for an issue. I welcome you can come back anytime. Cool. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking with you. I did as well. Thank you very much and good luck in the election. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. And this, uh, just as a programming note, I am going to be not on the air next week. I bought my wife some concert tickets, so we're going to have a day off. And I'm just going to go ahead and uh, wait, just wait for the uh, next week after that. And that's the next time that I will be on the air. Um, and we'll have another uh, candidate for Congress as well uh, on that episode. And if you can, if you're a, if you know a candidate for Congress that could use, you know, a little exposure, if you want to, you know, get them on the show, I'd be more than happy to have them. Just send them over to uh, my uh, Twitter page at Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter, and I'd be more than happy to uh, connect with them. And of course, this is the end for this week's episode of Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from left, that's right. Uh, tune in two weeks at 8 p.m. Central, Wednesday. Uh, follow me at liberaldan.com, at liberaldanradio on Twitter, Facebook.com slash liberaldan. Until next week, this is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.